Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome. Happy Easter. <laughs> Mask problems right now, getting this off the microphone. Um, hey, it's so good to see you guys here in person. We're glad all of you joining us online. We're especially excited to have those visiting us for the first time. I was talking to someone today who has been attending virtually for about a year, and this is the first time we've met face-to-face. It's like if that doesn't mark our times that we're in, I don't know what does. It's pretty incredible where we're at, but it's so fun to be here in person, and we hope that uh, as the pandemic continues to slide away, God willing, I will be able to welcome more and more of you back. Again, welcome. Today, we remember and we celebrate the main thing about Jesus. Today, we remember and celebrate the main thing about the Christian faith, because Paul here in in the letter that was just written said to the early church in Corinth, I want to remind you of that of of which is of first importance. So today we remember, we celebrate that matter that is of first importance. So what I want to do today as we look at this text is consider three things. What that matter of first importance is, why it can be trusted, and why it matters. Okay, so what is this matter of first importance? Why it can be trusted and why it matters. First, let me pray. Uh, Father, thank you so much for this beautiful, beautiful day, and not just in the sense of the setting and this place, the weather, but also in the sense of what this day represents, Easter, and how we remember and celebrate who you are and what you've done for us. So, Father, as we turn now to your word, would you please give us your spirit to understand what you have in front of us? And then I want to pray also, especially for those who are just checking you out, checking out your claims, trying to figure out this whole Christianity thing and, and Jesus, Lord, would you especially uh, make things clear to them, even, even draw them uh, to yourself. But Father, we commit this time to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so what is this most important of, of, of things, according, according to Paul? Uh, first, let's consider what it's not. Uh, there, a, a few years ago, I had a neighbor and friend uh, who I got into a lot of just wonderful conversations with. He's a very thoughtful deep thinker kind of guy. And so we get into a lot of conversations, often about Christianity and Jesus at his initiative. I know I'm a pastor. I know you might think that I would always just bring it up. He was bringing it up all the time. So he'd ask questions, and I'd share, and I'd ask questions, and he'd share. Well, I remember in, in, during one particular conversation, we were just kind of talking there for a while, I asked him this question. I said, Chris, I said, you know, we've been talking a lot about Christianity. We've been talking a lot about Jesus and his claims. Uh, Let me just ask, and this is not by way of quizzing you or like putting you on the spot, but just to kind of see where you're coming from, like what what you make of things. He's like, I said, if if you could just boil it down to one thought or like to its core essence, the, the main thing that it's all about, like what would you say that is? And my buddy... Uh, you know, being the thoughtful guy that he is, just kind of churned on that for a few moments. And they said, you know, I guess I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's all about going to church, you know, say, saying your prayers, being a good person. And I said, hey, Chris, don't take this the wrong way. I mean, those things are obviously very important. You know they're important to me as a pastor. I mean, I'm a pastor of a church. I'm, I'm encouraging people to pray and be, be good, right? But in comparison to what the Scriptures say is actually the main thing, those things are actually not anywhere near as important. And he gave me this look like, huh. And we had a fun conversation after that. That's my friend who identified as a, as a non-Christian. But then I, I, I saw a perspective in terms of like how people from 
uh, who, who identify as Christian think of this matter? What's the most important thing? What's the, what's the matter of first importance? I, was, uh, I had a chance a few years back to get together with a pastor in the area. Uh, we were just getting to know each other. One of the things I like to do is just get to know other pastors in the area. He invited me out to a coffee shop near his church. And so, you know, we, got, we introduced ourselves and he told me his name. He said, hey, I know, I know we're, this is about getting to know one another and, you know, I want to hear your story and hear about your ministry. But first, you want to see something I'm working on right now that's really cool? I said, sure, of course. So I went over and kind of like looked over his shoulder. He had his laptop open and this large Excel sheet uh, just kind of open in, on his, on his uh, computer there, uh, showing the results of a survey that they had just conducted in their church. Now, this is a very solid, you know, Bible teaching church that's very big, by the way. It's like thousands of members. And so he had hundreds and hundreds of responses kind of accumulated from this, this survey. And one of the questions that he had open was the question they asked the whole, everybody in the church, what does it mean to be a Christian? Like, it's just this fundamental question. Like, what does it mean to be a Christian? And he had it kind of organized on his Excel sheet of like the most like given response on the top, moving downward to least. And I'll never forget, because I had had the conversation with my neighbor not too long before that. It was essentially the same list that my buddy and neighbor had given me. Top on the list was go to church. What does it mean to be a Christian? Go to church, say your prayers, you know, be be a good person. I think another one on there was read your Bible. Important things, right? Those are important things. And you know, the apostle Paul would say, these are very important things. But what he's saying here in our text, he says, in in comparison to the most important thing, the matter of first importance, it's as if we don't, if we don't get this main thing, he says in verse two, we will have believed in vain. That's a strong way to put it, right? So what is this matter of first importance? Well, he tells us in the first uh, verse here, of course, it's the gospel, right? He says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of this gospel. So what is this gospel? I mean, it's kind of a word we throw around in our society today, right? It has a lot of connotations. What does it mean? Well, on the surface, the word literally means good news. So when Paul was writing to this ancient church with this ancient Greek language, it literally just meant good news, right? News, factual events, in the positive sense, right? Just good news. So in other words, what the gospel is not is insightful teaching or good advice for how to live. The gospel is literally good news. Think of it this way. The gospel is not things of fairy tales with a good moral or, you know, legendary thoughts just to kind of like, you know, think, well, what what can we take away? It's good news. The claim here is that there are historical, factual events And perhaps in the most concise of all ways found in all the scriptures, which itself is kind of a fun thought to consider, we have Paul lay out exactly bullet point form what this gospel is. He really gives four thoughts. And we see it here starting in verse 3. What's this matter of first importance? Number one, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Christ died. Verse 4, he was buried. Okay. Number three, he was raised to life on the third day. And then number four, he appeared. There's the gospel. There's the matter of first importance. Christ died. He was buried. He was placed in the tomb. He raised again to to life, and he appeared. That's the gospel. That's the news. That's the actual events that took place, Paul is saying. So what is the gospel? There it is. Now, how can this be trusted? Why can we trust that this is true and this is reliable? You know, Paul was writing to a group of Christians here who in part, some of them had issues with believing in the resurrection. 
Is that relatable? You know, this is an early church that struggled here in the Bible with believing this thought of the resurrection. And Paul wrote this letter trying to say, well, let's talk about that. And he wants us to know, he wanted them, he, and he wants us to know that it's reliable. It can be trusted. The resurrection? Yes. It seems to me that the average Silicon Valley person thinks that Jesus, yeah, he existed. Uh, he was a good, he was a moral teacher. But, I mean, really, down the years, his followers just began to just get more and more carried away with it all, right? They began to deify him and, and start to create these resurrection accounts and like kind of put them into the scriptures. Like that's had to have been what had happened. The problem with that thinking is there is zero evidence for that. There's no evidence for that. And the flip side of that is there is a ton of evidence, yes, evidence, that it actually did happen. What? The gospel that we just laid out, Jesus died, was buried, rose again. That's crazy. Well, think about it. Look, look, look into it. Paul gives us a number of reasons why we can believe it. And let me just say, you know, for, for the person here who doesn't identify Christian, obviously that's worth thinking about, considering. In fact, I've heard it said it this way. Even if you have trouble believing the gospel to be true, you should want it to be true. It's so amazing. But I would also say to uh, Christian friends here today that this is also important to understand, to understand why it's reliable and true. Why? Because while it could be nice to say, I believe, because my parents taught me, and that's good, and that's, that should be celebrated, is that going to help your friend? Is that going to help your coworker? Is that going to help you, maybe, if you're trying to really wrestle through this? These are important matters, and Paul is saying, it is reliable, you can believe it, you can trust it, and here's why. And he starts to list out why it is we can trust, at least in some respects. There's much more we can talk about that other texts talk about, but in this little statement, he says, because he appeared... And when it was read, you heard, it, you heard Paul say it a number of times. Christ appeared, and then he appeared, and then he appeared. So for starters, he says that he appeared to over 500 of the brothers and sisters. And in fact, he goes on to say at one point, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. That's Paul's way of saying, you can go talk to these guys. <laughs> An interesting thought here that all Bible scholars agree upon, well, virtually all, okay? But when I say all Bible scholars, I mean including those who turn a very critical eye towards Christianity and the Bible, okay? People who don't necessarily even themselves identify as Christians. So virtually all Bible scholars agree that Paul indeed wrote 1 Corinthians, the, the letter that we're written here. And the second thing they all agree on, essentially, is that he wrote it roughly 50 A.D., so you think, you do the math, about 15 to 20 years at most after Jesus left, after he was no longer here. In other words, within the lifetimes of people who would have been around. And one of the things that uh, Richard Bauckham says in his book, Jesus and the Eyewitnesses, uh, Richard Bauckham is a, is a well-respected Bible scholar, historian, uh, professor at St. Andrew's College. Uh, one of the things he says in his book is not only Paul, but all the early gospel account writers or gospel biographers of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which I don't have time to get into all of it. A lot of evidence shows that they wrote around the same time as Paul as well. One of the cases he makes is it would have been exceptionally hard, borderline ridiculous to believe that Paul, for instance, here and these other writers would have said the things that they said about the events and not been called out for it. I mean, could you imagine Paul saying, you can go talk to these 500 people and those 500 people, or at least some of them be like, uh, baloney, but Paul is saying, hey, some of these people are still alive. You should go talk to them. And he was saying to the Corinthian church who were struggling with this idea of resurrection, and hear for yourself. 
And if you hear them respond and they seem like lunatics, then fine. Like, don't write it off. But if when asking them about the resurrection, they verify it and they actually sound reasonable. <laughs> Paul is saying he appeared to over 500 people. Check it out. It, it makes sense. It lines up. But then he also says Jesus appeared to the 12th in verse 5. You know what history tells us about the 12? The 12 being, by the way, the disciples, the main kind of students of Jesus who spent most of their time like in intimacy with, with, with Jesus. You know what history tells us about the 12? All except one were martyred for their faith, specifically in preaching and teaching that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. All but one who was exiled were martyred for those things. I mean, it's kind of hard to give your life for something unless you really believe it, let alone 11 of these guys. And again, you can look at some of the letters that we have of their writings. For instance, Peter, you read his letter to the early churches. You can make up your mind. Is this, is this a weirdo? I mean, man, one, one of my favorite letters in the Bible is, is Peter's writing. He's, you just can tell he's just such a shepherd. He just, in terms of taking care of people like, like a flock, he just loves and cares for them. He's very reasonable. He gave his life, history tells us, for the sake, because he believed and preached. Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. And then here's a really fun one in verse uh, 7. Paul says that Jesus appeared to James. I say this is fun because this James he's referring to here was Jesus' flesh and blood brother. Okay, there's another James who was one of the disciples. That's not what he's talking about. That was one of the 12. But this James clearly would have been the James of, of Peter's brother, because uh, of Jesus' brother, because that James became one of the early church leaders. In fact, it was Peter and this James who were the, the kind of the pillars of the early church after Jesus left. And that James was Jesus' flesh and brother, born of, of Mary. I don't know about you, but when I think about the hardest person probably on the planet to convince that you are the son of God would probably be your sibling. I mean, right? And you know what's fascinating? Is the scriptures actually hold a number of accounts where Jesus' brothers show up to him while he's alive teaching, doing all his thing, uh, during his earthly ministry, doing his teaching, and literally opposing him. I mean, literally, the, the, the brothers are told to like say, Jesus, you gotta stop this. Stop doing it this way. Come hang out with the family a little bit more. You're getting carried away. And John chapter 7, verse 5 states that his brothers didn't believe in Jesus. I mean, that's just incredible to think about that it's even recorded that way. Why would they record it that way unless they have any anyways? And yet, then he became one of the big church leaders after Jesus. How could that have happened? Well, Paul tells us, because Jesus appeared to him. That would probably do it. And then Paul says here, last of all, verse 8, he appeared to me as to one abnormally born. Kind of sounds awkward in our English, right? But Paul is making a point there. The Corinthian church knew about Paul's past. In fact, you can look into it yourself if you want. Paul was a terrible guy in his younger years, in his early adult life, terrible guy. As Christianity started to blossom, this new sect, this new faith or whatever this was, he made it his life mission to hunt down these new Christians and throw them in jail and, and even killed some of them. And Paul was good at it. But now, by the time of this writing, he's claiming that Jesus died, was buried, rose again. 
What happened? Well, Paul says, he appeared to me. You read about that account in Acts 9, and actually a lot of Paul's letters, it was a very pivotal moment, as you'd imagine it to be, where he talks about a lot in his letters, saying, this is a moment where Jesus appeared to me and changed everything. It's on the Damascus Road. And he says, he appeared to me as one abnormally born. What's he saying there? He's saying, and I was, a, I was about the last person on this planet who deserved him showing up to me. I mean, I'd be the last person in line for a risen Jesus to come extend love and grace. But he did. And I want to tell you about him. And I want to, he appeared. This is the gospel. This is why it can be trusted. It's not just legend. It's not fairy tale with a spiritual moral to kind of be, you know, gleaned. It actually happened. I have a buddy who actually reminds me a lot of the Apostle Paul. It didn't occur to me in that sense until this week as, as I was thinking about my buddy. But my buddy named uh, Tim was born and raised in this area and actually still lives in this area, which is kind of unique for, for, for our society. But he, he lives over there in Santa Clara. And the way he describes his early adult years is he was an argumentative atheist. That's how he kind of describes himself. Like he's an argumentative athe- atheist. Very sharp mind, very, very, uh, very much gifted with the, the English language and a fierce debater. And he said in his early years, high school and college, he would make it his job to go around and try to convince all the Christians he could out of their faith. <laughs> it's fun to hear him describe it. I mean, in a sense, he's like, and I was good at it. <laughs> it's like, I just go and pick apart their faith. They didn't know like this or that. And I would just attack them. And it was fun. You know, that's, that's my buddy, Tim. Well, uh, long story short, towards the end of his college uh, studies or just after he had a number of, of just really tragic events happen in his life, such that he lost someone really close to himself, and he just, you know, unrelated, became homeless at the same time, just living out of his car, just a few sets of clothes, just a, just really hard-pressed, right? And he had, he, he didn't know what to do in that situation. He had this gal that he had gotten to know, this gal was a Christian, and she had been inviting him to church, and he had been saying no all the time. And well, she found out about this happening in his life and, and, and told her family, and her family invited my buddy Tim to stay with him just until she, he could get back up on his feet, just care for him, take care of him, right? And Tim didn't know what to do. He's like, okay, I got, I got to do this. I have nothing else to do. And so he went and he stayed with this family. And the way he describes it, he's, is he was a terrible guest, I mean, just on the worst behavior, just totally taking advantage of the situation, stealing stuff, doing all sorts of stuff I don't even want to get into. He's like, it was really bad. And, and it's not like the family that he was staying with didn't know about it. They were letting him know that it wasn't okay that he was doing that sort of stuff, but they were still just trying to care for him as best they could. And so, you know, that was kind of the situation. Well, he figured, you know, in or, a way in which he could kind of pay them back for their generosity is he would try to convince them out of their Christian faith. So he made it, he made it, there, he made it his goal during that period of time to start trying to convince them out of their Christian faith. At one point, he was having a conversation with the dad, and the dad was just saying, hey, I, you know, you got a lot of questions. I, I don't necessarily know all the answers, or I haven't worked all this up. Why don't you talk to the pastor at our church? You can go talk to him, see, see what he thinks, and maybe he can be helped to you. And my buddy Tim was like, and that was awesome to hear that, because now I get to go talk to the pastor. If I could convince him out of his faith, this is going to be really sweet. So he went and he talked to the pastor. And the pastor was just like, you know, sharing and kind of, you know, helping, helping along. And at one point, the pastor said, hey, Tim, what do you make of the resurrection of Jesus? And Tim was kind of caught off guard by that, but, but incredulous. He was just like, are you kidding me? The resurrection of Jesus? Are you serious? Utterly ridiculous is what I think. 
And the, and the pastor was like, okay, well, have you, have you ever looked into it? And uh, Tim was like, well, no, I haven't looked into it. He said, well, you probably should look into that. Um, and I encourage you to, because actually it says in the scriptures, in fact, this is later in the same chapter we're looking at today, 1 Corinthians 15. It actually says in the scriptures, this pastor said to Tim, that if Jesus didn't actually rise again from the dead, if there is no resurrection, then our faith is, quote, useless. It's futile. It's worthless. And Tim was like, oh, I got so excited at that. It was like he was handing me the keys to the car. Because if I could go look into this and just find reasonable, like, evidence against this thing, I would be having fun conversations the rest of my life with every Christian I came across. He's all right, I'm going to go out and look into this. But the crazy thing is, he looked into it, and the more he looked into it, the more he was like, and he uses more colorful language than this, oh my goodness, it's true. It's true. And the way he puts it, he's like, man, I had to, I had to be intellectually honest with myself. I, I didn't want to believe it, frankly. I was just like, I was, I was dumbfounded. And I, the more I looked into it, I had to be intellectually honest with myself. I'm like, oh my goodness, I think this is actually true. And then he says, that, that research, that time of looking into it, coupled with the love that he had been experiencing from that family, that he just couldn't articulate the reasons why for it. He was just like, was just like okay, I, 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 okay. He put his faith in Jesus. The funniest part of the story, if not most ironic, is Tim to this day is now a Christian evangelist. Meaning, he tells people, his mission is to tell people about Jesus, specifically about the resurrection. That's Tim. That's what he does today. It's incredible. The gospel is, Jesus died, was buried, rose again, and he appeared, and he appeared, and he appeared, and he appeared. And it's reliable. It's true. In fact, if you've never looked into it, I encourage you to look into it. Like I said, even if you have trouble believing it, based on what it is, you should want it to be true. In fact, if you want to look into this more, uh, please see me after the message. I'd love to give you some resources that you can look up and kind of for yourself. But that, that's the gospel. That's why it's reliable. And we haven't gotten to the best part, <laughs> which is this last thought. And that is why it matters. That's the gospel. That's why... We can trust it. But why does it matter? What's it matter? Paul tells us three reasons why it matters uh, in the first two verses here. Number one, he tells us it matters because you can receive it. I look again at verse one. It says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received. You can receive it. Notice in verse 3, and this won't be on your screen, but when Paul says Jesus died, he doesn't just leave it at that. He goes on to say, for our sins. Jesus died for our sins, right? And then in verse 2, he says, by this gospel, you are saved. That's Paul saying, it's not just that Jesus did these things, it's that he did these things for a reason. Well, for what reason? The Bible tells us that God created us to be in relationship with him to be known by Him and to know Him, to be loved by Him and to love Him, to love one another. And part of creating us to be in a loving relationship is He gave us the freedom to choose not to love. And the fact of the matter is we chose not to love and we regularly choose not to love. Not just some of us some of the time, but all of us all of the time if we really get at it. And that's really a definition of sin. I mean, sin literally means to miss the mark. It means to live the life that God, to not live the life that God calls us to, to reject Him, to reject His ways. I mean, that's, that's the selfishness in the world. And not just in the world, in here. 
in our hearts. That's the selfishness, that's the, that's the hatred, that's the mistreatment, that's the racism, that's the greed, that's the, the lack of compassion, the lack of extending benefit of the doubt. That's, you can just go on and on and on. That's, that's what sin is. And what the Bible says, the results of sin, is, is, is death. But not just the physical kind. And all the ramifications of that, right? I mean, we, we see that effect in our life, even if we wouldn't identify it as such. Like, you know, in pain and suffering in this world. But the Bible says not just the physical death. In fact, the, the greater tragedy of sin is spiritual death. Namely, our separation from God. Being separated from Him. Being separated from the one who is perfectly loving, righteous, pure, true, just, merciful. But God didn't want to leave us there. And so he sent his son into this world to live the life we ought to live but don't live. And on the cross to die the death that we deserve, to pay that punishment, not just, not just dealing with physical death, but like this, this being separated from God, such that when we believe Him, when we receive Him, we are brought back into a restored relationship with God, life forever with Him. That's an incredible thought. That's the good news. Not that you and I need to earn our way back to God, because frankly, that's not possible. Hard as we try. It's that we can receive what God the Son did for us on the cross. We can receive it. You can receive it today. That's the good news. Right now, today, this Easter morning. In fact, I want to give you an opportunity later on in the service to have an opportunity to, to respond in faith. I want to give you that moment. Here, both in person and, and online, there will be uh, means for you to do that if you feel so uh, inclined. Um, and we just want to do our part as a church family to come alongside any and everybody. I mean, we say every week that current is a community following Jesus together, and you're welcome wherever you're at on, the spir- on your spiritual journey. We're all on a spiritual journey. But if today's a day you want to make a faith decision or, uh, you know, have a faith response, we want to come alongside you if you're comfortable with that. I mean, we're not going to be all awkward about it. But one of the ways we, we want to offer that, at least today, is, is if, you, if you make a faith decision, we want to equip you, resource you. There's a book that we'd love to gift you, a book that's meant a lot to me over the years. It's called Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. We have copies today we'd love to hand out to you. Uh, and then, and then uh, for you online, we'll be able to get it to you as well if you, if you so want. Um, but C.S. Lewis writes this, this great book about mere Christianity. I love C.S. Lewis for a number of reasons. One being that he used to be an atheist, and then he became a Christian, so he kind of wrestled through real you know, issues and tried to work through those things. But then also in his writing, he has a clear gift of both holding up like the intellectual side and the creative side. Because I don't know about you, I read a lot of books, and sometimes they're just overly intellectual and therefore too stuffy. Or they're like overly creative, and then, but they don't have a lot of substance. Like C.S. Lewis is a great job, and he's asking a lot of heart questions that I think a lot of us bring. Anyways, all that's to say is we'd love to gift that to you if, if, you, if, you, if you're in a place where you want to make a faith response today. So you can, you can receive the gospel. That's one of the reasons it matters. Number two, you can stand on it. It says here in verse one, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. It seems to me that this year of pandemic, this year of shelter in place, has kind of brought to the surface something I think, at least as a society collectively, we have taken for granted. And that is that life is actually quite precious and vulnerable. 
and we are not as in control as we probably would have thought we were. And the reason why I say that's what we probably are learning collectively is because many of us actually have learned that personally, right? When, when tragedy hits us, we understand that life is precious. We are vulnerable. We aren't in control as we would think we are. And some of you know that at a real heart level. But I think in our 21st century America, let alone Silicon Valley, where we have things a little bit more comfortable, relatively speaking, comparatively speaking, we, we can miss those truths. Life is vulnerable. And but you know what? The, one of the greatest implications of the gospel is that Jesus died, was buried, rose again, he appeared, is the fact that if he did that, <laughs> if he did that for, for you and for me, if he endured the cross, then we can endure anything. I mean, if, if Jesus literally took on and defeated sin and death, if he endured that, we can endure anything. In fact, when I think of it in those terms, when I remind myself, in other words, stand on it, all my other hardships, real hardships, they don't just go away, and the Lord doesn't just dismiss, but in light of that and standing on that, they seem a lot smaller. And one of the really cool things is when I mean anything that we face, we can still stand, I mean anything, because that's how the scripture concludes. Look, at, look towards the end of 1 Corinthians 15. Paul is basically saying, because of this gospel, because of this good news of Jesus, he says in verse 54, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. It's incredible to think that no matter what we face, we can face it standing on the gospel that Jesus has defeated sin and death, meaning even the worst and most terrible hardship of all, death itself, that we'll all face unless the Lord chooses to come back sooner, only will then serve to make us more whole and complete and strong, ushered into new life. Paul even says that in 1 Corinthians 15, right? I mean, when he says, he's talking about the, that Jesus appeared to the 500 brothers and sisters, he also says, you, know, you can go talk to some of them, they're still living, even as some of, have, of them have fallen asleep. I love that. For the follower of Jesus, death now becomes something we just fall asleep. In other places in Scripture say we are then ushered into His presence, even as we wait for Him to make all things new. So you can receive it, this gospel. You can stand on it. And then finally, we must share it. We've got to, we've got to share this news. It says, here in verse 1, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of this gospel I preached to you. And then again down in verse 58, always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. If Jesus died, was buried, rose again on the third day, and he appeared, that's news that we got to share, right? And really, this is our task. This is our mission as a church. We want to and we desire to make an incredible impact here and now in this community, right here and rippling out. Here and now, we want to do that. In fact, this last week was really fun. The teams did an awesome job pulling together, together the Seven Days for Good initiative, helping some local partners, including the homeless and, and at, at need, uh, uh, people who are in need, helping and serving folks in that way. We're committed to doing that. We want to just do that in increasing measure, but our main task 
is not just focusing on the here and now, but focus on what will last and what's eternal. In other words, lifting up Jesus. Lifting up that of which is of first importance. Notice what that's not, you know? Telling people they need to go to church. They need, they need to say their prayers or they need to be better people or they need to see this way or that way. I, these things can be important. They have their place. I'm not saying, but of first importance, we want to hold out Jesus. Say that he came, he died, he rose again because he loves you and you can receive it. That's our main task. That's what we want to be about. And if you're here joining us for one of the first few times, uh, that's what we'd love to have you join us in doing. Wherever you're at on your spiritual journey, we're all, we're all trying to figure this out together. We're coming up on our five-year mark as a church. It's incredible what God's already been doing in, in and through this community. It just blows me away. And we just humbly believe that he's just getting started. And in some ways, coming out of this pandemic, again, God willing, the, it's, there's just more potential, potential to meet needs and tell people about Jesus, lift out Jesus. So we'd love for you to join us in that. Uh, let's pray. And as the band's coming up, and actually as everybody has their, has their uh, head bowed and eyes closed, uh, I want to give you an opportunity, like I said I would, to make a faith response today. Uh, again, both those who are here in person, but also online, I want to give you this opportunity to make a, a faith response today because the gospel is this. The Apostle John put it this way, to all who receive Jesus, to all who believe on his name, God will give the right to become children of God. It's nothing we can earn, it's nothing we can do, but it's something we just receive based on what Jesus did on the cross for our sins. And so if you want to receive him today, you can do that. And I want to give you an opportunity, if you're here in person, you can go ahead and raise your hand. If you're online, you can follow the prompt in the chat bar there. It's not about raising our hand. It's not about following a particular prompt. It's what happens in our heart. But more, more importantly, we'll see your hand or we'll see your response and, and pray for you. I'll pray for you now. But I want to give you that opportunity. If you'd like to receive, yes, I see those hands. I'll give you an opportunity here in, in person and online. If you'd like to make a faith response, you can receive them today. And I also want to give uh, others of you a time for a response to come back to the Lord if that's, if that's your story. Maybe Easter's a day where, you know, you've, you've, you've been away from a relationship with the Lord for, for a while. Maybe, maybe you uh, moved to this area and it just kind of fall, fell off by the wayside. Uh, maybe in this year of, of pandemic, it was just something that is no longer a part of your life. It's incredible. I mean, this is really a sermon unto itself, but, but God says that when we come back to him, he wants to receive it. He will receive us with, with arms open wide. And if that's you today, you want to recommit your life, rededicate your life to him, you can raise your hand now. I'll see it, pray for you. Online, you can follow the prompt there, but I want to give you that opportunity. Just take a few moments. All right, let's pray. Father, first of all, I want to pray for those who've made a faith decision today to follow you, uh, whether here in person or online, that you would especially draw them near to you now. And you help us as a church come alongside them and uh, minister to them, even as you know we need them ministering to us as well. 
but, but be with them. And Father, most of all, we just say thank you for who you are and what you did for us. As we celebrate Easter, this resurrection day, we give you all praise because we recognize it's a day that you earned for us salvation, that we can receive. And so we, we, we receive it with hearts of gratitude and humility and thanksgiving. We love you and we give you praise. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.